Our scripture for this morning is from the book of 1 Peter, nearly the, nearly the beginning of it. Verse, going to read verses 3 through 12 in the first chapter. Listen to the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we are grateful. Guide us as we consider it and its challenge, its encouragement, its call on our thoughts and on our hearts, on us, Lord. Guide my words, guide all of our thoughts and minds as we stand before your word together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in this series asking the hard questions of our faith, and today's may be the biggest one of all. The Bible addresses this challenge of this question really throughout, throughout it. And it's a whole field of theology and philosophy called theodicy. It's both a a philosophical and and theological and logical challenge, but for many, it's much more of a personal and existential one. Here's the logical question. We propose in Christianity an an all-powerful, all-loving God. But the logical challenge is, if he allows suffering that he could stop, he might be all-powerful, but not all-loving. 
Or on the other hand, if there's suffering that he wants to stop but can't, he may be all loving, but he's not all powerful. Either way, an all powerful, all loving God as, as seen in the Bible couldn't exist, right? It's just logic. But very quickly, let me say to you, um, who can say that an all-powerful love, what, what would he do with suffering? But honestly, that's not how we typically face this question in our lives, because this question is also, it, it's so personal. Let me, let me tell you a story. Years ago, and in, in, in the summer after my freshman year of college, this is a long time ago, I was on a, a leg of a flight from Minneapolis to Boise. And this is in the, those days before headphones, remember? And, and people used to talk to each other on planes. And I ran headlong into the personal depths of this question. I sat next to a woman who was maybe three or four years older than me at the time. And so I told her about myself. I'm a, a freshman, you know. I'd just chosen a major at my Christian college of religious studies, and I was going to be a biblical scholar or a pastor, and I'd be st I had been already studying with some of the most amazing scholars. And then she expressed her faith in God, but also the challenge she was having with it at the moment. She was in the process of moving back from Minneapolis to Boise to move back in with her family. She didn't know what else to do. You see, just a, a few days before, her husband and infant daughter had both been killed by a drunk driver. And the tears came, and with them, the questions. Every tear of sadness holds those questions with it. She felt all the pain and loss and, and now was looking for answers and looking for love that works and, and survives, that is enough. Two quick things I want to say first. I didn't have any quick answers for her. And 40-plus years later, running, running that conversation through my head, I still don't. Secondly, we've been talking about evangelism and having conversations. Uh, this is why people don't want to get into conversations about God with, with others. Uh, and I was in, we were halfway through our flight, and I was in way over my head. And I, I honestly don't remember much of what I said. I, I think I remember uh, recommending C.S. Lewis, and, and it seemed like she was, she was really going to do it. I, I, I know I didn't even try to explain what had happened to her. I, I think I was fresh off of reading Job and saw what happened when his friends tried to explain what had happened to Job. That didn't go so well. They, they blamed him. Blaming anyone clearly wasn't going to help her in this moment in her life. I don't even remember sensing that she was mad at God. She was just trying to hold on to believing in him at all. And I remember crying with her. It, it seemed like the only thing I could do. How can we still believe? 
in this question, it's not just logical and theological and philosophical. It is absolutely very personal. So, let's think about the Scripture that I just read from 1 Peter. This, this passage is written in the context of suffering, suffering past and suffering future. First Peter is a letter written to maintain the faith of those who are in the midst of great suffering. And Peter wrote this letter from Rome where he is soon going to be martyred, at least according to tradition, not, not Scripture. And he wrote it to Christians in modern-day Turkey who, who were suffering various local persecutions and for whom it's, it's going to get worse, and they know it. So how, how do we justify God and have and maintain and grow in faith and hope in Him? And this passage has them look all around them to see what they can see that would encourage their faith in the midst of the worst of the suffering. The first thing this passage has them do is to encourage their faith is to look back. It gives their pain and suffering the picture of fire. It talks about the fire. It's a picture of a a furnace in which you, you melt and you refine metals. And it takes us back to other scriptures with the literal picture of being thrown into the furnace. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? My kids were into VeggieTales, and they were Shadrach and Benny. And in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar sees, throws them into the fire and then sees a fourth person there in the fire with them. And they're walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of God. It also takes us back to another scripture in Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. The promise is not if you go through suffering, but when you go through suffering, He will be with you. You'll be able to sense the presence of His love. It's as if He's walking with you. And the suffering won't turn you hard or bitter. It won't break you or consume you. But it will refine you your character, your soul, and your faith, it will make you who you are in Him. Now, here's how you know that is true, that He is with you. It's the cross. It's the cross. Now, you know how far into your afflictions the Lord is willing to go with you. And it is further It's further than any of us will have to go. He suffered as we suffer and more. He was God and he had everything. He emptied himself in love for us and experienced not just 
the physical suffering of death, but the loss of the love with his Father for, his, for our sake, to the point where he echoes that cry of Psalm 22 on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we never have to know that depth of suffering, the suffering of being separated from our greatest love, our Father in heaven. This is not an answer to why we suffer in the world. It is the assurance that it is not because God doesn't love us, that He doesn't care. He does love us more than we can ask or imagine, more than our suffering can hurt us and separate us from His love. Tim Keller notes that even the atheist existential philosopher Albert Camus understood this. He wrote, Christ, the God-man suffers too. Evil and death can no longer be entirely imputed to him since he suffers and dies. The night on Golgotha is, is so important because the divinity ostensibly abandoned its traditional privilege and lived through to the end, despair included, the agony of death. Did you hear that? We can't blame God for our suffering. He suffered worse than us. Tim Keller summarizes the point this way, because Jesus Christ went into the ultimate furnace for you, the only furnace that could really consume you, there is assurance, there's your assurance, He's walking into your personal furnaces with you. Whether you feel Him or not, no matter how hot it is right now for you, He's walking next to you. So if you want to deal with evil and suffering, the first thing you have to do is look back to something, what He did on the cross. We look back and we see the cross. But then we also look forward. We look forward through all the suffering with hope. Peter begins this passage to those who are suffering. Jesus has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you to be revealed in the last time. You can't go through suffering without hope. And this is a living hope. Even today, we, we see it, we have it in the resurrection of Jesus, who is the first fruit of our resurrection. It is the fullness of things that will come in the last time. The, the language of resurrection it, a resurrection life here and in Paul's letters to the Corinthians is the language of inheritance. We are children of the king, and this, and this life is imperishable, undefiled. It's, it's pure, and it's unfading. It's never going to grow dim or old. And we hear the, the echo of Paul's refrain, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
Let's go even just a step further. Resurrection is not just a a, a reimbursement for suffering. It's, It's not payback for what we've lost. There's nothing that you could give that young woman on the plane to compensate for her loss. Resurrection is a restoration to life. It all comes back and better than ever. Keller had an observation about the wording of this notion that death is swallowed up in victory. When you swallow something, it makes you bigger. He has an illustration of what he meant, that he had a nightmare one night, horrible, worst of all possible things happening, so awful that he didn't go into detail. But in the dream, his whole family is, is slaughtered. But when he woke up, they were there. He loved his family before that night, but when he woke up in the morning and he, and he saw them, he couldn't even look at them without crying for joy. He goes on to saying, everything sad will come untrue, and yet the resurrection will be infinitely greater for it having once been true, all that suffering and all that evil. What we have to look forward to is all the best that we've had made better and more. This is is much more than anything our suffering could take away or destroy. Finally, we don't just look back and see the cross or look forward and see the resurrection. We look into the present and see now the good news. This passage ends with the angels looking into the present and seeing the gospel. Peter uses the word epithumia, which means to lust after. They, they are enamored of, obsessive of, and, and through all the ages of eternity, never tired of, of passionately looking at the gospel. And we ought to be the same. When you look at the gospel, you see the eyes of Christ, who for the living hope, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. This living hope, this joy, was that you and I would be reconciled to God, made right to live together for eternity with Him. We are His children, His joy, and He is our joy. So look at the gospel and and, and see that you are so loved and saved by this one who is with you in every suffering through his own suffering. So what is the answer to someone who is suffering? There are no quick answers to suffering. So how do we face and bear the suffering? First of all, i got to say, suffering without God is, is not really an answer. Martin Luther King, in his letter from Birmingham Jail, says that all justice, all sense of right and wrong, comes only if there's a higher law, a divine law. Dostoevsky said, if God did not exist, everything is permissible. If, 
If we are all there is and there is no God, then our feelings about suffering are just that. They are feelings and nothing else. Here's what I believe. Belief in God is strained by those who take suffering seriously. Our own suffering or empathy for those who who are suffering. We take suffering seriously. And, And we see this reflected in the outcry of the psalmists and of Job. It is strained, our faith, but it's not broken. So we face suffering knowing and believing in God, not that he provides all the reasons for the things that are happening. He didn't do that for Job. He didn't do that for the the new believers in ancient Rome. And he doesn't do it for us. But through it all, for those whose faith remains, it grows stronger as we face suffering by looking back and seeing that God is with us in every moment of our pain, as we look forward and see the certainty of the living, glorious hope that is before us in the final day, and as we look into the gospel, see the presence and the eyes of Christ and dwell in this living hope today. And know that hope is living today in the ability to trust with our hearts and lives a God who is all-powerful and all-loving. In the end, I honestly believe Christians are uniquely, uniquely equipped to live with suffering in our world. Not because we have answers to why anything's happening or because we're stronger and have a greater will, but because we know that anything that happens is not the decisive moment in the story that defines us. That key moment was when the depths of suffering became the means of our salvation when Jesus died on the cross. Nor is suffering the end of the story, even death, Death that's coming around us and before us. For we know resurrection. So today, we of all people can live with empathy. With empathy, we, face, we can face suffering and we, we don't have to run from it. We can face it without all the answers, but with hope and with faith. I I still think of that young woman over 40 years ago now, and I I pray for her life and her faith. Hers was a hurt that she was never going to not carry, but I pray she has renewed hope in the goodness, love, and power of God, and faith in a future in glory with those she's lost along the way. Let's pray. Lord, every one of us knows and will know suffering to different degrees, and we all respond to it differently. But Lord, help us to respond in faith, 
not, not seeking all the answers, but trusting always in you as we look back and see by your cross you are with us. See by your resurrection the end of the story that we all come to in faith. Lord, guide us even today to look at you, to see your eyes, your cross, your resurrection, your salvation, your gospel, your good news, and, and be in awe every moment and through it all. And Lord, help us to believe and help those especially who are struggling with their faith because of their suffering to trust in you, to find a way to hold on to faith. And Lord, we lift up those in our own hearts and minds whom we know that are struggling in such a fashion. And Lord, help them with their faith. Encourage them. And may we be a part of that. Help us as we, as we have conversations about God and faith to not be afraid of these hardest of questions and knowing that we don't have all the answers. But we can still point to you, your love, your faith, your goodness to us your power and strength and glory and trust in you. God, thank you for your word. Guide us in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.